Good evening, brothers and sisters. Sorry I scared you being late. I, I was running a little bit late, and then I didn't want to interrupt the presentation, so I hung out on the couch back there. And they're, uh, they're sassy back there. So you want to be careful if you sit in the back row. Um, so the, I, I take it we're losing our branch presidency. Sunday. Oh. They yeah. warned us. They warned you. That usually doesn't happen. What does that mean about us, Jerry? Okay, well, good news. Hopefully nothing will change. Brothers and sisters, I'm glad to be here. It's good to see you guys. I'll, I want to make sure and talk to some of you afterwards. I like to say hi and, and didn't get a chance. So if you're not singing in the choir, stick around and uh, we can chat for a minute. But I am glad to be here. I have a, a, a lesson that I've been kind of preparing for a little while. We're so far ahead in this class. And as you know, I teach in my ward as well. And we've just finished the five weeks of Isaiah. So I'm really glad to not be doing Isaiah anymore. So we did two here and five there. And, and although awesome, it's nice to have a change of gear. So, so uh, thank you for letting me do that. So what I thought we'd do today is we're going to do the book of Daniel. Um, and Daniel is split up into two, two lessons. And so what happens with Daniel is we'll do most of Daniel today. And then next week, you'll do uh, chapter 2 chapter 2, which is probably the most famous part of Daniel, okay? No? Next week? Thanksgiving. The next time, I guess. Next schedule, yeah. The next lesson is uh, Daniel 2, I think, right? Am I lesson 45? Otherwise, I'll teach Daniel 2. Perfect, because that's what I prepared, was lesson 45. All right. So, let's do this for a second. Let's do this. As we come to the end of the Old Testament, I thought what we could do is look at really how the Old Testament is formed a little bit and go over some foundational ideas that I think will help us understand what the book of Daniel is about. What the book of Daniel is about. So the first thing is, is this. Um, see, when you guys think about being home, either being at your home um, what it feels like to be home, what kind of feelings or emotions does that evoke? Safe. safe. Someone said safe. Good. Safe. When you're home, you feel safe. What else? Peace. Peace. Love. Peace. Love. Yeah. Right? Comfort. Comfort. I do too. I'm always like in comfortable clothes. Oh, not that kind of comfort. Well, that comfort too. Yeah. 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 Pajamas. So comfort, peace, love. Security, good, good. I know that even when I take a vacation, uh, and as much fun as sometimes they can be, when you come home, it's always like, oh, it's so nice to be home again, isn't it, isn't it? That idea of being home is a common idea in the scriptures, in the scriptures. And in the time at which we find ourselves at the book of Daniel, the Israelites have lost their home. They've lost their home. And they've been driven out by an oppressive empire, Babylon. And they find themselves now outside of their home. It's what we call being in exile. Right? So they are in exile. Well, let me go like this. You can't see it, but this helps me to keep track. Home, and then they go to exile. Exile. That is hard even for me to write. Okay. 
you, you can't read it. You're too far away. So you go home, and then you go out into exile, right? And so the time at which we find ourselves is they've left Jerusalem, right? And where are they now? Do you guys remember? What's the capital of uh, Babylonia? Babylon. That's right. Yeah, it's easy to remember because I already told you. Babylon. The capital of Babylonia is Babylon. And so they are now finding themselves in Babylon. But this is a common theme that you see basically throughout the whole Bible story. What? You said? It is? That's the same story as this idea? Well, I don't know. Let's go to the first couple pages. And where do we find ourselves in the first few places? Where are they living in the first few places? In the first few pages, Eden. And is it a good place? It's the best place. It's their natural home. It's our natural home. We find ourselves in Eden, which is our natural home, and it's beautiful, and it's wonderful, and it has everything we need there, right? And then what happens? Out. Out. Into exile, into the world. Yeah, you're familiar with the story, right? You're looking at me like, I don't know what you're talking about. Right? Yeah, that, those first, I skipped those first few chapters of the Bible. We're not supposed to read that, are we? <laughs> okay, so sometimes we see our home being Eden. Sometimes our home is like Jerusalem. Okay? And then sometimes we're in the world, or we're in Babylon, or we're in exile. Okay? <laughs> um, and, and we're constantly trying to find a way back to home. Right? What other places can you think of do we call home in the scriptures? Or just things you can think of? What was it? Heaven. Heaven, yeah. Yeah, we say that we're um, citizens of heaven, right? We're sojourners here. We're strangers in a strange land because we're not at our home. We also sometimes call it the promised land. That we want to, we're not naturally comfortable way out here in Babylon. We want to return to our home where there's comfort and safety and security and peace and happiness. Right? We want to return there. So that's exactly where we find ourselves in the time of Daniel. So the, the whole story of the Old Testament is like this. And you say, not the whole story, Lori. I mean, I know the story of Babylon, but if you go back to the story of Eden, one of the first cities that's made right there in Genesis, do you remember what the first city is? It's kind of troublesome. Does anybody remember? Place they're building a big tower to try to get back to home, back to Eden. What was it? Babylon. Yeah, in Hebrew, Babel. But Babylon, it's the same place. Okay? So they're saying, hey, we left Eden, and we came out into the world, and we're going to make Babylon. Why did they name it that in the story? To do what? Why did they name, why did they name the, this, this Tower of Babel? What, Babel's the Hebrew word. Babylon is the uh, Persian word, okay, or the uh, Chaldean word. Same word. 
is it come from Babylon? They're babbling because their language is all mixed up. Yeah, well, we certainly picked that up. That's exactly right. We now say we, we babble, right? It's because they're telling this story in the time of the exile. The story of Genesis and all that is written now, so it's a symbol. It's an image. Hey, everybody, we're now stuck in Babylon. And I thought we were the promised people. How did we get here? Let's tell the story over. Way back when, in Genesis, we started out in Eden, and we went through, and they built this city, whatever it was really named, I don't know. But I'm going to name it Babylon, because that's the same thing that happens <coughs> to us today, right? The world. We get, we're out of the promised land, we're out of Jerusalem, we're out of Eden, and we're in Babylon, or the world, or anywhere else where we're not in those places. Get it? Okay, so that whole story is there. Now, as people grew up in those, they started to say, hey, how did we get here? How did we get here? And those are the stories that basically take up the remainder of the Old Testament, okay? It's a collection of stories that look back from the time they're in Babylon and say, hey, how did we get here? How did we get here? Well, we can see that when we left Eden, right, there was a transgression, and we left. How about when they left Jerusalem? Do you guys remember? We've been talking about it a lot. Why did, why did the Israelites lose Jerusalem? It was the promised land. Let's go back to the story. Back here in, in this first Babylon, right, Babel, over a number of centuries later, a man's called out, and the Lord says, I, I got this plan. I got this special family that I'm going to covenant with for them to get the priesthood, to get posterity, and to get a place to put it. Does anybody know who that man was? Abraham. Abraham. Exactly. It's the Abrahamic covenant. I'm going to pick a family and I'm going to pull them out of Babylon and I'm going to bring them into the promised land. And there I'm going to covenant with them. That family. The story of Abraham. Abraham family goes on. Abraham and then who's his son? Isaac. Isaac. And then Jacob. And then from Jacob he has how many sons? Twelve. And from there we get the 12 tribes. Yep, you got it. You got it. So from there, and they are going to get this special place, the promised land. Right? In that promised land, they end up building a city. Now, not too long into that, one of the 12 sons, they try to kill him, right? His brothers don't like him. Do you remember who that is? Joseph. Joseph. Yeah, he was kind of a dork, but probably didn't deserve to be killed by his own brothers. So he goes to Egypt, and they tell a story of the family trying to return back. They're put, that family, the Israelites, what happens to them in Egypt? They live well, right? Things go well. They're rich. They, oh, they're slaves. They were starving and needed, needed food, and so they went there to yeah. get something to eat. Yeah, Joseph saves his family. They're starving. So they come there. And then over the next 230 years, they become slaves. And from there is a story of them returning from their exile and being delivered back to the promised land. 
I don't know why that buzzes when I turn around. Turn? No? So they return. So there's a story of a, of a prophet, a man who's going to help them return to the promised land, a one who's going to deliver them, one who was going to save them from slavery. Another word we might use is redeem them, pay the price so that they are no longer in slavery. So the story goes on. They're back in the promised land, Moses. Right? Moses is, all the 12 tribes, they get there. How do they do? They, did, they, did they sin or are they, they good for the most part? How do those 12 tribes do? You guys are shaking your head. Not that great, right? The story is a lot of trial, but mostly error, right? They don't do that well. The northern tribes are eventually crushed by Assyria in about 720, right? I don't know why I'm writing it down. 720. And then, in about five, in 586 on August 14th, um, the Babylonians come in and crush Jerusalem and take them into exile. And those are the stories. Okay, is everyone caught up on where we are? Okay, did you guys did you did you have you seen this theme before? This theme of being in exile? Yeah, right. You're like, oh yeah, we know it. I just want to kind of remind us, remind us that it's there. That there's the story of being at home, but being out of our home and then trying to get back. All right? Because that is the sto- one of the stories of, of Daniel. So what is the story of Daniel? So Daniel is, when we live in exile, wait a minute. We don't live in exile today, do we? We, we live in like the promised land, don't we? But do we have things that don't... Is it perfect? Oh, it isn't. So we don't always have peace and security and comfort. Why not? What's going on? Wickedness. Wickedness. Wickedness around it. But it's all those other people, right? It's not us. Oh, no. No, I don't contribute to that wickedness. Right? Okay. So things that we do, as well as the world we live in, are corrupt. And so we live in... Exile. So this idea of Babylon becomes a symbol that we can use today, right? We still live in, in Babylon. In fact, later, all the way even through the book of Revelation, they talk about Babylon. It's long gone. It's 600 years in the past or more. Well, 586. So 600 years, uh, almost 700 years in the past. And Babylon, the city, is long gone, but we still talk about it because it's a symbol of the world, right? So the book of Revelation, um, the, uh, even Nephi, right? They don't live near Babylon anymore, but they keep talking about it. So when we talk about the world, we live in where? Babylon. Yeah. You got it. All right. And we live in a state of exile, returning to, trying to return to our home. Our home. Yeah, we're trying to return home. That's right. Now, Daniel, in 586, uh, I've probably the year before, um, 587 or whatever, it goes backwards. He, um, he is young. He's probably in his young teens. And he, a couple of his friends, are taken away by Babylon into kind of a, a uh, student exchange program. An enforced student exchange program. 
they took uh, they took the royal family and those that were uh, smart, uh, well educated, could be educated, and they said we're going to bring them back to Babylon, their actual city now, and we're going to train those guys in the language, and in politics, and in the culture, so that they understand. Now this is different. They're not slaves. They're not slaves, right? But they can't go home, right? But that's that's how they worked that. So they take the Assyrians crushed everybody and slaughtered everybody and were terrible. But the kingdom after that, the Babylonians, had kind of this exchange program. We'll take the best and we'll bring them in and we'll understand the Hebrews. We'll learn their culture, but we'll teach them our language. We'll teach them our stuff. And so we can kind of help rule these people, right? So just killing them all. We want them to work together. We want them to work for us. It's kind of a Marshall plan, okay? So they take Daniel and a couple of his buddies as a young, and it's a three-year program they're gonna be in, and they're gonna learn, to, it is a three-year program. No, the three-hour tour, three-hour tour, okay. And they're gonna learn Chaldean, and they're gonna learn all this stuff, and they, they're in the court of the king. They're right in the court of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and they're going to learn the language. They're going to learn all this stuff. Now, when we get into Babylon, there are probably a couple ways we can play it. In Babylon, is that our natural place? Do we feel comfortable there in the world? No. No. So let's talk about that for a second. What are our choices if we live in Babylon? And literally for Daniel, what are his choices? He can give up. Right? He can assimilate. Say, so, you know what? All that Hebrew stuff and following the scriptures and the and and, and kosher laws and covenants, that's gone. I'm, I'm just gonna be Babylonian. I'm gonna wear their clothes, I'm gonna learn their language, I'm just gonna give up, right? I'm gonna assimilate. And that's one end. I'm just gonna jump right in. What's the other end? What's the other choice? Way over here. If you're not assimilating, you're what? fighting the man. I'm going to fight him. I'm going to do everything I can. I'm going to I'm going to rebel. I'm going to rebel. So on one end, you could just give up, be like the world. On the other end, you could fight. Do you know what the book of Daniel is? It's a how-to manual for how to live in Babylon. It is. It's going to tell us Wait a minute. We live in Babylon. Did we say that already? We all agreed to that. You live in Babylon. So how do you live in Babylon and not give up or just completely fight and rebel? How do you stay somewhere in the middle? Prophet Jeremiah gives instructions for that. It says, hey, the way I want you to do it is not one of those two ends. I want you to be in the world, but not of the world. So this is what the book of Daniel is. It's an instruction manual for how to do that, right? So should we, should we see what it says? Because it sounds like it's applicable to us, isn't it? It might, it might be. I don't know. Sometimes the scriptures are, I'm not saying they aren't. Well, wait a minute. They are. You guys, come on. They are. That was, that was a trick question. So let's go to Daniel, and let's find out when we live in exile, when we live in a land that we're not comfortable in. It's not our home. And we want to still stay close to the Lord. How do we do it without just giving up? 
just being like them or fighting every single thing. Can I tell you guys another story before we jump into Daniel? Because loosen up, everybody. It's a little stiff out there. So everyone give it a little loose. Shake it out. I should have shared my pudding cup with you guys. And I ate the car on the way here. It was delicious. It's my dinner. I squished it out as I drove. No, I didn't get any. All right, just checking. All right, so let me tell you a little story. So um, see if I can make this applicable to you guys. It's just happening to me. Can, can I share about myself for a minute? Okay. Um, so a few months ago, I decided to complete a theology degree. Yeah. Make all this worth something. So I started a theology degree. Um, I do work full time, so I wanted to do it online. And so uh, BYU does not have an online theology degree. They don't even have a theology degree. Yeah, you could do ancient Near Eastern studies, but you can't do it online. So I said, I'll, I'll find something else. So I applied for a program out of a school that I uh, respect a lot, has a very <laughs> academically rigorous program called Multnomah. It's out of Portland, Oregon. So. Yeah, she made it sound like, yeah, Multnomah, little tiny Bible school. It is not run by the church. It's not run by the church. So I am taking classes that I will not share that I am a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Why, why not? Why wouldn't I share that? Because I'm not very proud, right? I'm embarrassed. No, why, don't, why do you think I'm not sharing that openly? in the classes, in the discussion groups. It, it means more to you, to you than that. It, it could. That's not why. They might but send you to Babylon. They might send me to Babylon. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I, you guys, you know what? I'm afraid. I'm afraid. Well, they knew what I had to apply, I had to say. And uh, so when I applied, I had to put in um, what my religious affiliation was. And everything was like, oh, you sound like such a fit, and oh, the grades are great, and all that. And then I put that in there, and they called me. And they said, I don't think that's going to work out. <laughs> and I said, well, certainly you have people that aren't just Christian or whatever you are. And they said, well, but you Mormons, like that's a whole different world. I'm going to send you a document that shows what we believe and see if that's going to work out for you. <laughs> I said, well, I don't have to like believe that, do I? Well, so, so I read it. I said, oh, okay, I believe in Jesus Christ. Check. I believe in the Bible. Check. You know, so far so good. Why don't I share that in the class? We have all these discussion forums. Why do you guys, why don't I share? Why don't I just jump in and say, hey, I'm proud. Why don't I say anything? We're not Christians. Well, that's, yeah. Yeah, that might be one of the thoughts. Why? Any ideas? Yeah, persecution. I'm afraid that I will get picked on. And I'm afraid I will be, it'll get out among the community, both professors and, and, and teach, and then I will just be just, I will not get a fair shake in the class, right? So I'm very cautious, so I express all my beliefs. They say, what do you believe in? And I'm like quoting the 13 Articles of Faith, right? <laughs> I just don't say anything else, yeah? Yeah, I'm afraid of being persecuted. So the book of Daniel is perfect for me. How do I take this program but still be a proud member, right? But not get just completely torn apart. Christians are mean, right? I mean us included. So so this book, so this book comes timely for me. I'm taking a bunch of churchy classes with people that I think might hate me. 
<laughs> so I'm like, I'm just not going to say anything. And I notice I make these comments on the discussion boards, and they're like, Lori, you're so right. <laughs> yep. And uh, I've thrown in a few Book of Mormon quotes, and I just put it in quotes. <laughs> you know, like the prophet says. <laughs> and uh, so far, no one's caught me. But uh, I'm afraid. You guys, I'm afraid. I'm afraid that I will be persecuted for it. So Daniel's a good manual for me, as well as a good manual for us. How do we live in the world, but not of the world? Should we see how he does it? Yes. Do you have any advice for me? Just tell him. No, I'm not I'm not going to tell him. I'm scared. I'll tell you when I'm... I, I, I have a big mouth, so it's sure to come out. But I can't... I'm very cautious. I'm very cautious right now. Good or bad? What do you think? Well, somebody knows there. Well, somebody knows, but the students don't know, and I don't think the professors know. You could wait till the end. I can wait till the end. That's what I figure, too. I'll wait till the end. If I have to do my dissertation and have to defend it, I'm like, oh, I don't know how this is going to go. Might be a big waste of the time. So we'll see. So I'm about... Uh, I'm on my third class... Um, I've done a, a class on Isaiah, a general class on the prophets, and then I've done a class on Timothy and Timothy and Titus. Not that great. Okay, so next year we'll talk about those. Anyway, it's been great. But oddly, they haven't asked me anything about Mosiah or Alma or Nephi. <laughs> Secret weapon. What does that mean? Well, I know what that means. Anyway, it's been really fun. So if you have any advice, uh, let me know on the... Uh, but Daniel's perfect. So Daniel is taken away in this program just like I am. He's living among people that don't believe the same way he does. And he's trying to follow the prophet Jeremiah. Meaning, he's trying to live there but not fight them or not give up completely. He's trying to live somewhere in the middle. The same way that we do. We live in the world. You're not like, you guys aren't living in a monastery. Well, wait. No. You're not. Okay. I'm not living in a monastery. But we live in the world. So let's look at Daniel 1 and let's see what happens to them when they have to confront, when it gets hard, when they're found out, when they draw the line. When do they draw it and what do they do? So Daniel chapter 1, let's look at that one to start. Um, I want to do, it's chapter 1. Um, Man, these are long verses, but will somebody read for me chapter 1 of Daniel 5 and 8. We'll just skip. So chapter 1, chapter one verses 5 and 8. Does anybody have that? And let's go all the way to the back. Let, I'll bring you the uh, microphone. Just verses 5 and verse 8. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of wine, which he drank to nourishing them three years, that at that end thereof they might stand before the king. Eight, but Daniel's purpose is his heart, that he would not defile himself with the portions of the king's meat, nor the portions of the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Okay, so we know the story, right? See, this is where I got three years, Barbara's looking at me. Their three-year program, right there in five. 
these young men are brought up and they're going to be right next to the king. They're in a special position, a position of, in this exchange program, the slavery exchange program. And they're there and he says, okay, you're so, in fact, you're so highly regarded. You're just right in the court, the high court of the king. You're going to eat a portion of my food and my drink. I mean, this isn't slave food, right? You're drinking right with the king's uh, court eats and drinks. And it says that Daniel, and who were Daniel's three friends? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Yeah, it's weird we know those names and not their Hebrew names. Daniel is his Hebrew name. Belteshashar or Cesar or something is his uh, Chaldean name. The other three we go by their other names, but it doesn't matter. There's a song. So what do they say about this food? What did Daniel, what's Daniel's reaction? He says he's not going to eat it because it would defile him, something about it. Now, the, I, there's nothing about that that we know that is against kosher laws, but some, so we're missing part, part of the story. But why is this a place that Daniel won't cross the line? It's just food. It's just wine. Why? What about the integrity? What, what about it? What's, I mean, he's wearing their clothes. He didn't say, I won't wear your funny hat. Right? He's wearing clothes. He's sleeping there. He's speaking their language. Why at, the, at food? Why does he draw the line at food? Yeah. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. He said it's probably the word of wisdom. There is a law, right? Whether it's their kosher laws or our word of wisdom, that we covenant to obey. We said, here is what the covenant is. And when we covenant with the word of wisdom, we say, I will eat certain things, and I won't eat other things, right? And then I'll be blessed. It's a, it's a covenant. He has a covenant as well. So what's one of the clues to where we draw the line? Food. No, not food. What's the point? Covenants. When it's a covenant. When it's a covenant, we don't step over the line. So in this one, he can say, hey, do you know how the story goes? He says, hey, king, we can't eat that. So why don't we eat the foods that we can, right? Like a box of Cracker Jacks or something, whatever it is. He calls it a pulse or whatever, I don't know, something, something fruity. So he's like, I'm going to eat this, and we're going to try it for like 10 days. And he says, give me that and just water, and then we'll see if we're healthier than the court. Yeah. Holds. Yeah, it's kind of like lentil stew. It's like lentil stew. What does it say? Yeah, he's eating like energy bars. It's what? It's probably one of the first Lay's potato chips. Yeah, they're true. Thanks, Jerry. I don't have to call you president anymore. It's probably back. We'll eat potato chips, and you eat that meat and wine, and we'll see who's healthier. And Daniel's friend showed up fat, you know, with high blood pressure. No, that's not how the story goes. What happens? Do you guys remember? They show up ten days later. It's at the end of the chapter, and it says, um, verse uh, four, uh, ten days, verse fifteen. And at the end of the ten days, their countenances appear fairer and fatter. They were eating Lay's potato chips in the flesh, meaning they were just healthier than all the children which did eat the portion of the king's meat. Thus Melzar, he's like the butler, 
took away their meat and the wine, and then gave them pulse. So they proved, right? They said, we look healthier. Okay, we're living in Babylon. Any takeaways? Any takeaways? What do, how, do we, how do we apply this first manual of how to, how to live in Babylon that Daniel and, uh, and his buddies followed? Any ideas? We have the word of wisdom. Okay, so we've covenanted with a health law, the word of wisdom, and we don't, when we're pressured to eat differently, drink differently, um, we don't do it, right? We say, you know, that's okay. You keep yours. We don't have to make a big deal out of it. We'll just make it a contest. And then we'll see who's healthier at the end, right? Do we have times as members of the church in which we're pressured to break the word of wisdom? Yeah, downstairs, they are tough. They have been trying to get me. No. no. When do we get pressured to eat differently? When we're out in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think we've all been had opportunities, right, that you have to say no to. And some of them are very challenging, right? They hurt people's feelings. They don't understand. You're in different countries, different cultures, right? They made something special for you, and you can't drink it, right? Right? Okay. So, any takeaways? When do we not step over the line? We said word of wisdom. What else? Covenant. When it's a covenant. That's right. So, living in Babylon, we can live there, but we can't break our covenants. And one example was the word of wisdom. Good. So far, so good, right? Okay, Daniel's living good. This is well. He's living well. He's living something. All right, let's go to chapter 3. We still have time to find out a few more things that he did. Uh, next lesson is doing chapter 2, so I'm skipping it. Um, so Nebuchadnezzar, he's a weird king, weird king, super well off, right? Super powerful, owns like most of the known world and the ancient Near East. And he decides that he is going to create a statue of himself. And he is going to make it in gold. And he's going to set it up and he is going to command that everybody worships it, worships it. And um, good or bad? What? Why? Why is that bad? What, really bad? Someone said really bad. Why is that really bad? Worship idols. You guys, why don't we worship idols? I mean, really, who cares? What if we made a statue of something? I mean, what's the big deal? It's a commandment. Yeah, it's it's one of the top two, right? It's the first, first. Uh, it's the second one, right? The first one, I'm the first. I'm the best God, and then the second one is, don't make any idols. But why? Any ideas? Why? Well, it's an image, right? They call it sometimes an idol, and sometimes they call it an image, an image. Um, do you think God cares? Does he feel bad if some, we worship something else? Yes. He feels bad? Yes. He's a jealous God. He's a jealous God. Yes, I, that's not exactly what that word means, but <laughs> he's jealous. I get really mad. Um, yeah, I think, I think you're on the right track. Let me paint the picture for you and see if we can see something else about this idolatry. We'll call it an image. So what they did in the ancient world, a little bit different than we do today, but very applicable. Are you ready? Put on your seatbelts. Here it comes. They would make, they would have a god, and they would make an image. 
of it, an image, right? So whether it was a calf or a fish or a bird or whatever, and they would make it out of wood or metal or stone or precious gems, and they would put it in a special building. What's a special building called that you put an idol? A temple. So they would put this image of their god in, sometimes it was outside, but it was in a temple, okay? Now, God made a very special place originally. He made a very special place, and then he put his image in it. Let me see if I can remember the story. Let's see. It's in Genesis 1. He makes a special place, and he calls it Eden. It's a garden, and he creates male and female that he creates in what? His image. His image. So there are image bearers of God, and they are you, us. So if we are what God is trying to portray, what does it do if I take something else, lesser? What does that mean about me? Anything? I'm not as important. It lessens who I am as a child of God, as an image of the creator. I am taking that away from me, from the holiness, the importance, from what my God-given rights and heir to his kingdom are. Because he says, hey, everything I have, we're going to be joint heirs with Christ if we follow him. And if I give it up here, then that's lesser, isn't it? What, what were some of those gods that they worshipped? Do you guys remember any? They usually go like this. Let me see. You don't have to know the names, but they go like this. They're of, you'd pray for uh, wealth, money. You'd pray to, for more power. You'd pray for uh, a better sex life. Do, no, really. That's mostly what they were. So do we ever have a time in our lives? Do we, are we ever tempted or the world tells us to worship power and money and sex? Oh, you mean all the time. So do you think those idols are still present in our day and age? And they're put right here on earth and they lessen us as the image bearer? Now it's not me. I'm not trying to look at what God wants me to look at. I'm looking at power. I'm going after money. I'm going after pleasure. I'm wasting time, right? I'm looking at myself, me, 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 as opposed to I'm looking at what God wants me to be. That is why idolatry is so bad. It isn't because God cares that it's a little stick figure. It's just stick. He doesn't care. He made the stick too. He's saying it lessens what you remember about your divine potential. You misunderstand the role of the Savior. You misunderstand the role of our Father because we're lessening ourselves as the image of God. So, got it? You knew that though, right? Yeah, you did. But we, we sometimes forget. So, Nebuchadnezzar makes an idol of himself. Dun, 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 powerful. And he says, everyone's going to go worship this idol of the king. And what does, what do the three friends do? Do you guys remember the story? No, thank you. Yeah. They say, but 
but so they take up arms, right? They have a campaign, bring your guns out, we're gonna go kill King Nebuchadnezzar. No, they say no, but how do they do it? Peacefully. They just say, you know, we won't do it even if we die. Peaceful resistance, right? We will resist, but we will not do it. Why won't they do this? Where's the line in the sand that they're drawing? Covenants. Covenants. Huh. That's weird. That's twice. I bet that's not a pattern. No, probably not. God doesn't work in patterns. Yeah, they say, um, they find out and they say, I will not, I draw the line. I draw the line. You can make a statue of yourself and you can, other people can worship it. I'll even pray for the king's welfare. I will pray that God blesses him, but I will not pray to an idol of him. See the difference? Are we ever asked to forsake our covenants to pray to idols? To worship something other than God in our lives? And not None of you, but just in general. What is, what's a time where we're maybe asked to participate in idolatry? All the time. All the time. I think you're exactly right. right? Remember what the idols were? Don't, don't spend time with your families. You need to go after your career. You need to make more money, right? You, you, don't spend time at church. You need to save your dollars. Don't give in your tithing and give to the poor. You need to save that. You gotta hold on to that cash. You gotta worship that, right? Careerism. I am worshiping my career. I feel like I was today, right? Very busy. One other times, right? Pornography. Pornography. I'm gonna put all my focus on that. Sex. Power, sex, money, right? We are constantly bombarded with turning away from the Lord's way and worshiping those things. All right, how does it work out for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? I don't know, let's read. What? No, don't tell them. Oh. I love this. It's verse, uh, we're in chapter 3, verse 17. Do you mind if I read it? We're running out of time. It says, it says um, he says, we're going to throw you in the fiery furnace. And they say, if it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thy hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods nor worship the golden image that thou hast set up. So the Lord could save us, but if he doesn't, we're still not worshiping you know. So what does he do? He gets super mad, and he builds up the furnace super hot, and then they throw him in. And what happens to him? They die, right? What? What happens? Yeah, they look in there. Um, it looks in there, and it says this. They, they said, oh, uh, they threw him in the fiery furnace, verse 23, and then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished. He was astonished. And he rose up in haste, and he spake, and he said unto his counselors, didn't we cast the three men bound into the middle of the fire? And they said, true, O king. Yep, we, we threw him in there. In fact, it was so hot. Remember, they died. The, the guy's throwing him in. And he answered and said, but I see four men loose. They're not tied up anymore. And they're walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Right? Who saved them? Yeah, Jesus. God did. He saved them. 
Do people always get saved? No. Not in the earthly life, right? Not in the earthly life. So, so what have we learned in our, in our manual? When we're pressured to break our covenant against idolatry and worship and forgiving, forgetting who we are as children of God, we stand up stand even, strong. stand strong even to the point of our death with peaceful rebellion. And the Lord will save us in this life or the next. Brothers and sisters, I'm very grateful that I, uh, we have the scriptures to teach us about the way of the exile and a way back to the promised land, a way to return back to that place that God wants us to be in. I'm excited for next year's lesson because we get to learn about that great king who's the one that's going to help us return, the Messiah, who's going to help us return to Eden, who's going to help us return to the promised land where we belong and be those children of God that we should be. And that's my testimony. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. 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 God.